We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 2, which Pastor Spencer read earlier this morning in the service. I was saying to the folks in the first service that over my almost 40 years of ministry, I've had many comments about my preaching, even a few compliments, but uh, definitely a lot of comments. Uh, One person told me many years ago, he said, Pastor, you preach the everlasting gospel everlastingly. (laughs) A friend of mine once said, Paul, I said, I want you to know that every sermon you preach, it's just better than the next one. Let that sink in. But I think one of the most meaningful comments or compliments I've ever had was from a woman who actually, while we were pastoring in Newfoundland, she'd been into our ministry for several years. And she said, Pastor, don't take this the wrong way, but I think you preach like a woman. (laughs) And she said, what I mean by that is she said, as I've been under your ministry, I just feel like as you minister God's word that you do it with a tenderness or an intuitiveness that's not really characteristic of men. And she said, I just want to thank you that over these years that under your ministry that God has given me a softer heart. He's given me a soft heart, a heart to believe things from Him, a heart to receive in a different way, a a heart to look at my walk with Him a different way and to look at people a different way. What she was talking about by this tenderness of heart or this softness of heart was was a heart that's kind of more teachable, it's more shapeable. She said, I find myself over the years growing more gracious and, and patient and kind toward others in the application of His Word and just seeing how redemptive God's Word is intended to be. But you know, that, that kind of heart isn't just the product of a certain personality type. That kind of heart, I believe, really has to do with how it is that you respond to what God wants to do in all of our lives. And what God wants to do, I believe, in all of our hearts is He wants us to have a heart that says, Lord, I, I just pray that you'd make my heart softer than it's ever been before. I pray that you'd make my heart more tender and responsive than it's been before. And and really, that's one of the key elements of the Advent season. Advent simply means coming. We know the Lord is coming again, but we know the Lord came the first time. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. It it means the coming of the Lord. And so we're not only remembering the Lord came, but we're maintaining a heart that is open to Him and say, Lord, I just invite you to come every day. Just come in fresh new ways. I want to welcome your coming until ultimately you come again and I see you face to face. But I, I recognize, Lord, you want, to, you want to maintain that tenderness. You want to continue that work in my heart so that I'm always open to what you are doing all, all around me. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus or you don't understand what I'm really talking about. It's not because necessarily that you are against the Lord or not interested, but maybe you've just never come to a place of understanding who Jesus is. What, what Jesus really is like. You see, we can be familiar with church things or religious things, but really it's only when I have an open heart that the Lord is able to come in and He's able to reveal Himself. He's able to minister His love or healing, whatever it is that I need, but I need to open my heart to Him. It needs to be a conscious act of my will that I believe, as the Scripture says, who He is, that He is who He says that He is. And the Lord says, if you'll come to me in that understanding, then you will find me. I will reveal myself to you. And the Lord wants our hearts to be open to Him. Maybe you're here this morning and you have a hard heart, 
But that may not be because necessarily you're willfully sinning or you're rejecting anything God wants to do in your life. But even just the season we've gone through this last year and a half, there could be other things that you've experienced. It could just be the dry winds of just the demands of life. And you've found that over time that your hearts become dry. Or you become distant from the Lord. Or you just feel like your heart's becoming hard. And again, it's not necessarily willful sin or rebellion. It's just this, this hardness. Just... It's, it's kind of hard. I was t- speaking to a sister this morning. She was, she was saying that just kind of like in a season, I feel that, that uh, I just kind of feel numb. Like I just don't sense the Lord like I used to. And, uh, and the Lord was so faithful to, to touch her and to, to encourage her. But if you feel that way this morning, then I want you to understand that there's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in Scripture is referred to as oil. And the Lord just wants to minister that warm oil of His Spirit to our hearts afresh. That's part of what worship is all about because He wants to restore to us that tenderness of heart, that responsiveness to the Lord. And I just want to say this morning that what that woman spoke many years ago, God has given me a soft heart. I want that to be true of me. I want that to be my prayer, my focus as it is as we move through this Edmund season. How many would say, yeah, I'm a candidate for that too? Yeah, as I move through this Christmas season, whatever I've come from, Lord, I just pray that you'd give me, again, just that tender heart toward you. Now, most of us are familiar with the story of the three wise men. It's called, or the Magi, the gift of the Magi, these, these travelers from the east. And, uh, but what we see in this story that we read from Matthew is it's kind of in three stages. First of all, they, they arrive in Jerusalem uh, looking for the king, for this child. Uh, secondly, they're given directions to go to Bethlehem. And then thirdly, we see they actually land in Bethlehem at the place where, where Mary, Joseph, and Jesus are living at that time. Now, just by way of kind of a fun fact, uh, maybe you're probably aware of this, maybe some aren't, but uh, when we get into the Christmas season and we go by the nativity scenes, the crash, you know, the, the, all the setup there of the story of Christmas, uh, what we often see is we see Jesus in a manger, Mary and Joseph, of course, and then you have what? You have the wise men, and then who else do you have in the story? You have the shepherds, right? Well, I want you to know that's a lie. Okay, I've ruined your Christmas. I'm not going to go beyond that. But, uh, but actually, when you read the Scripture, as beautiful as the scene that is, that's not really how it played out. We have in Matthew 2 the account of the Magi. We have in Luke chapter 2 the story of the shepherds. Uh, they were quite a distance apart, probably a year or two apart in their experience. But the Magi, what they had done is the Scripture says they saw the star in the east and they came to worship the Lord. And by the time they actually found the Lord, he would have been probably a year, year and a half old. He would have been in a house he would not have been in the manger. And the shepherds, uh, on the other hand, they were the ones the angel appeared to, you remember, and they went immediately and found Jesus. They found Mary and Joseph with Jesus in swaddling clothes lying in the manger. So you had those two different incidents, two different events, but with the Magi, of course, they didn't find Jesus in the manger. They found him, like I guess, say, a year or so later. And the reason for that is because the Scriptures tells us they didn't leave their country, which was hundreds of miles away, until they saw the star appear. Once they saw the star, realized the fulfillment of prophecy, then they began to pack things up and they set on a long journey that would have taken several months at least uh, to finally come to where the child was. Uh, Matthew says in verse 2, uh, they came in Jerusalem, when they arrived in Jerusalem, they said, where is the baby who was born, king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and we have come to worship him. Also, as many of us are aware, uh, there were likely more than three wise men. In fact, we can probably pretty much guarantee that. Uh, we say three why because there's three gifts, at least three promises gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So you kind of again have that nativity scene. They're all standing there holding a jar of something. And so we have the three wise men. Uh, But the reality was they would have come in an entourage. 
Uh, there would have been many of them because they would have been traveling hundreds of miles through the desert. Uh, they would have needed to have, uh, you know, guards because they're carrying great wealth with them for protection. They would have needed people to do the, the manual labor, setting up the tents, tearing things down. They probably brought along a couple of cooks with them, whatever they needed. Uh, but the scripture says that when they arrived in Jerusalem, that their arrival created quite a stir, quite a commotion. And so it's very likely there were at least a hundred or so in that entourage as they moved in that caravan from the east. But the point is, is that their journey, all that they did, all the preparations, all the work, all the investment that went into this travel, into this journey, was in response to the celestial sign, what they had been looking for and what they saw. And the fact that they were so overwhelmed when they found Jesus is evidence to all they put into this when they finally found him, they were just beside themselves. Now, the first stop is Jerusalem. Why? Because Jerusalem, the promise was that out of Israel will rise this star, the Savior, and so they go to the capital city because the capital city, of course, is where the royal family traditionally would live. And if Jesus, uh, had, or rather, if Israel had been a free nation, if you know your Bible, uh, at that time, if they had been a sovereign nation, Jesus would have been on the throne. He was of the lineage of David. He was the rightful heir of the throne of Israel. So he would have been there eventually as he grew up, but his father and mother would have been king and queen in Israel. And so they come to Israel. Israel is the capital city. They're expecting to find this Christ child, this, this uh, child born of royal lineage there. The wise men themselves, in case you weren't aware, uh, they were likely Persian Jews. So they would have had the scriptures. The scriptures would have been circulated. They would have been maintained from generations ago when the northern tribes of Israel were actually captured, laid siege to by the Assyrian armies, and they were taken back to modern-day Iran, Persia. So centuries would have gone by. These men would have been of that, of that heritage, and they would have grown up very familiar with the teachings, the scriptures that referred to this Messiah, this one who would come one day. Numbers chapter 24 is one such prophecy. They would have been very familiar with. The Bible says, a star will come from Jacob, a ruler will rise from Israel. Now, what I want you to notice, though, in this is this, is that God provided the guidance. God provided this supernatural phenomenon for them to see. It was all there. The evidence was all there. But it's the men themselves who set out on the journey. And the reason these men set out on the journey, it's hard to us to really grasp the work that was involved on their part, the preparation, the, the money that would have gone into this caravan. But the reason that they set out from where they were is because they, they were open in their hearts to God's Word. They were also open to the supernatural works of God. All that was involved in this great event, their hearts were stirred, their hearts were excited, their hearts were so open that they actually made the trip. If their hearts were not open, they never would have left home. They never would have put in all the effort that was required. And we are talking months and months and months, maybe a year, year and a half. Imagine committing yourself to that kind of journey. I wonder how many of us here this morning are really on a journey with Christ. We may believe in him right? We may believe some of the stories and believe the scriptures and say amen, but I wonder how many of us are on a journey with Christ, a journey to walk with him, to know him, a journey to, to open our hearts to, to him in a very real way that we know him and we see his workings happening around us because, friends, it's a lifetime commitment. It's a lifetime journey full of discovery along the way, but we have to make that fundamental decision. You see, again, we can know the stories, and we know lots of them, don't we? We can know the scriptures, but if we don't make the effort 
to get up from where we are, we're never going to encounter Christ. We're never going to experience what he has for us. They said, we saw his star in the east, and we what? And we have come to worship. We saw the star. We read the scriptures. We see the fulfillment. We see God doing something, and we have come. We've left the comfort. We've made the effort. We've made the journey. And God is going to reward us by finding the prize that we seek. In fact, when you read this story, what's really fascinating, it's almost incredulous. It's just, it's hard to believe. But it's actually these foreigners, these foreigners who arrive in Jerusalem, and eventually they meet up with the religious people. They meet up with the actual leaders of the Jewish faith, those who had the same scriptures and more, those who claim to believe in the prophets, those who claim to be longing and waiting for the Messiah. Those are the people they talk to. And when they talk to them, imagine this. You have the religious establishment. You have religious people. This entourage of a hundred or more, maybe, arrive in the city. There's a stirring, this commotion. And these are people of wealth and people of intelligence. And they begin to explain to you why they're here. The scriptures they've read, the things that they have seen. They must have been absolutely dumbfounded, these wise men, at the response of the Jews. The response was in complete indifference. Matthew says in chapter 5 that after they explain why they're there, the religious leaders basically say this, well, if the child is born, the prophets say that he should be in Bethlehem. Let that sink in. They had the information, but they missed the incarnation. Friends, we can have all the information. We can be very familiar with the stories. We can know the scriptures and yet never experience God in our midst. Never experience him in my life. Never see him, his spirit, take on flesh in my life and actually be real, a living hope, as we sang earlier, a, a living faith. Very tempting for us as well. You see, in Jesus' day, Bethlehem and still is the same. It was less than five miles away. But they didn't even bother taking a single step in that direction. Why? Because their hearts had grown so accustomed to the way things were that they really weren't even desiring anything to change. And they hadn't just given into things that were oppressive, it was a Roman rule and so on. A lot of them had grown very comfortable in their lifestyle. We're doing quite well, thank you very much. I know we live under the Romans, I know we live under different rule, but you know what, I've got a decent house. I make a pretty good income, I wear nice clothes, people recognize me when I walk through the streets. I'm quite comfortable, I don't really want to upset this. Are you hearing me this morning? Right? We can have a form of faith. We can have a form of godliness, but we never see the power of God. And the power of God is not for our entertainment. It's for our encouragement. But the power of God is for a sign to those who don't believe, who don't know that by the power of the Holy Spirit, he is able to dislodge those things that have kept people captive. But if it's going to happen around us, it has to happen to us first. We have to be a people to say, Father, I thank you for your blessing. I thank you, Father, for my home, for, my, for my, the clothes on my back. I thank you for the good things that I get to enjoy. And, Father, I know you delight in giving good things to your children. But this is not just about me. As, as the old carol says, long lay the world in sin and error, just pining away till he appeared. And the world felt his worth. And, friends, it's time for our world to feel his worth again. 
his value, his beauty, who he really is. But it requires us as the people of God to de- de- be determined that we want to encounter with the Lord, have an encounter with the Lord. We want things to change. Lord, I'm okay for things to change in my life if it means that your kingdom comes and that your will is done in and around me. The ones who encounter the Lord were those who set out on the trip. And friends, we need to step out from those places where we haven't changed for a long, long time. Just let the Holy Spirit just drop into your heart some of those areas. Where are some things, if you're honest, you'd just say, yeah, I'm kind of I'm stuck in a rut here. Or in my walk with the Lord, I've allowed the Lord, you know, I've kind of grown accustomed to him. I've lost that awe. I've lost that wonder. When I, when I come into the presence of the Lord in a time like this, I've really lost that childlike wonder that just, Lord, you're amazing. I'm amazed by you. Lord, there's things that, that just need to change. They've been this way for a long time. Well, Matthew says of the wise men, they leave Jerusalem. The second thing that happens is on their way to Bethlehem. The star appears again, verse 10. When the wise men saw the star, they were filled with joy. Why? Well, because they hadn't seen the star for a while since it first appeared. So now they're in Jerusalem. The Lord is not there. Okay, well, where is it? They say they're supposed to be in Bethlehem. Okay, but how are we going to find him in Bethlehem? I mean, to everybody else, he looks like an ordinary child. How are we going to find this Messiah, this Savior? But then the star appears again. Now, if you're a thinking person, this thought has probably crossed your, crossed your mind. Were they guided by an actual star? I mean, just keep in mind, our sun is a star, S-U-N, right? So how did God take a celestial body of that magnitude and guide them? Well, traditionally, and we'll see this in pictures as well, we kind of had this image of the North Star, and it's kind of over the, you know, over the manger, or maybe it's over the house where Jesus was. Typically, it's over the manger. But you have this star, and the light shines down, right, to where he is. It's kind of like the original GPS. God's saying, there he is. What's interesting in the Scripture is that this idea of star, this word star, is used in different contexts as well. And one of the ways the word star is used is to describe angels, because of their radiance, because of their brilliance. Revelation talks about that, that the enemy, that Satan, he led one-third of the hosts of heaven, of the stars, down to the earth in his rebellion. So we see angels being described as stars, and I believe that's really what the, what the guidance was. I mean, the Lord certainly can use an actual planet and somehow arrange the light to shine down, but I believe the fact that it was there, that it was gone, that it was there again, was very likely an angelic presence because we see it was the appearance of a star as well in some translations that led them to, to Bethlehem. But think about this. These men that found Jesus, that found the child, they were not just some kind of flaky, gullible mystics. That's not who they were. These men were the intelligentsia of their day. These were wealthy men. These were brilliant men. These were men of science. These were men of stature. So much so, we see in the Scriptures, that they easily gained uh, an audience with King Herod the Great. Not just anybody could walk up to the king or have an audience with him. These men did. And so they're men of science. They're men who are intelligent. But most significantly, they were men whose hearts were open to the supernatural. Do you hear me this morning? Opened to signs and wonders open to a miracle-working God, a powerful, supernatural God. You know, one of the most misguided beliefs in our culture today, and even in a number of our churches, 
is that anyone who believes in the supernatural, they're, they're either gullible or, or they're just kind of, you know, prone to chasing after miracles. And I'll be the first one to admit there can be extremes in both camps and everything in between. But that doesn't negate the fact that there are unique supernatural things that God is doing every single day. That God wants our eyes to be open to. He wants us to see him at work. And the only way it's going to happen is if we have a heart that is open to him. If we have hearts that have been softened by the Holy Spirit to see what God is doing. To have an actual interest in what the Lord is doing. And to see those things that actually bring us closer to the Lord. You see, when you are aware of what the Lord is doing, your eyes are open, your heart is open to that, the Lord has a way of drawing yourself closer to him as you see him in action. I was saying in the first service, my prayer has been this last while, Lord, protect our hearts. Protect our hearts from ever growing accustomed to the supernatural, to ever grow accustomed to the miracle works of God. We're, We're... so grateful. We're graced by God for many of the things that we see. And we're just on the beginning of the journey. There's so much more God wants to do. There's so much more He wants to fashion in us and grow us and and develop character and intimacy with Him that He can trust us with even more. But it's no small thing. I mean, for those who were even here last Sunday, you know, it's no small thing for God to to heal people in the service as we had testimonies. Just while they're worshiping the Lord, for body function to return, for pain to go. Uh, for people to come in who've never been in the church before, and one lady said, I just walked in, it was, <gasps> not even a Christian person, just felt God, felt a presence. They had a chance afterward to share exactly what that was. I pray we never grow accustomed to that. I pray when we hear testimonies or see things happen around us by the power of God, that there's always this sense of wonder. There's always this sense of awe. And not in any way just entertainment, but something that would say, Lord, thank you for reminding me that you're real. Lord, thank you for encouraging my heart. It may be a different need that I have, but I'm reminded I need to open my heart to you in a fresh new way this morning. I need you to come to me afresh. I need to know you deeper, Lord. I need to love you more. I need healing in my mind, my body, my relationships, whatever miracle it may be. Lord, I am in the presence of the living God, and I worship you. And friends, one of the best ways we can worship the Lord is just come with an open heart and say, Lord, even if it's been a week or a few days since my heart was open, I just come again, Lord. And it may still be open in your eyes, but Lord, I just say, come by your spirit, come with your rain, and just wash the residue off. Just bring a freshness. Just bring a freshness, a fresh responsiveness to you, to open my heart to you and what you're doing. You see, when you look at Jesus' ministry, it wasn't uncommon as he traveled around the the Galilee region and other areas that there would be many, many miracles and people would see those things and be amazed. And yet the next day, the same crowds would come out for what? For a new show. In fact, they would even have the arrogance to say, yeah, yeah, that was great what you did yesterday, Lord, but do something new and we'll believe in you. Top what you did last week and we'll believe in you. And friends, I mean this in all kindness, but I've been in different settings and and even sometimes here, and I don't mean this in an unkind way, but you know my heart, but I've seen the Lord do things or see the Lord at at work around the altar in the pew sometimes, and I'll look, and I I, I know we can all come from different scenarios and be tired, but, but there's been times when I've seen people in the midst of that just kind of look at their watch. Why? We grow accustomed to the presence of God. 
And I'm not saying that our exterior physical gesture tells it all. I mean, you can be working a night shift and come to church. I never get offended if someone yawns in my message. Even if you fall asleep in my message, because I have a soothing voice. I understand it's a ministry that I have. The Lord gives His beloved rest, and so come. There's no better place, no better place to sleep. In fact, we're going to get some recliners in here as well for those who, who work those long shifts. So that's wonderful. You won't offend me. I'm just glad that you're here. And I honestly mean that. I mean, if you're exhausted, still come. Don't worry if you yawn or fall asleep. Just come and soak in the Lord's presence, and the Lord will still minister to you. He'll minister to your spirit. But I want to encourage us, friends, to never allow our hearts to grow hard. Never allow ourselves to grow used to the presence of the Holy Spirit, what the Lord is doing. If anything, let our hearts be, Lord, I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for what we're seeing. But, Lord, I pray for more. More, not more of a show, but more of a demonstration of your power, of your love, of your grace. Lord, have more of me. I open my heart more, oh God, that I would even see a greater capacity of the ministry of your Holy Spirit in and through my life and in our midst. Imagine when these men arrive in Bethlehem if their response had been like everybody else in Bethlehem who had seen this ordinary family living in their midst all this time. If they just saw an ordinary man, a carpenter by trade, his wife, probably a very humble home, a, a little child, an ordinary family, then they probably would have thought for a moment, uh, guys, uh, ichne on the treasures. We're just going to kind of keep those on the horses and we're going to go our way. They wouldn't have been too impressed. But that's not what they saw. And yet, you know, we do that too. I'm guilty of doing that myself. Because, you see, what they saw was God was at work. God was doing something. This was the culmination of what God had been stirring in their heart. And they were going to witness this. They were going to see this miracle, this, this, this Messiah. But I just think, Lord, how often do I kind of blow through my week? How often do I just walk through the grocery store and pick up groceries or, you know, in your situation, you go to the workplace and there's people all around you, but we're totally oblivious to the fact that heaven is at work all around us. And the Lord wants us to get in on what he's doing. He wants us to recognize what it is he's doing around us. You know, we can even come to church and fail to experience for ourselves what Jesus promised. He said, if two or three of you come together in my name. I promise I'm here with you. Imagine if that really got hold of our heart every time we came together. The Lord says if you'll come and bow before me from your heart, you'll always leave different than you came. It doesn't mean that you're radically transformed every time we come together, but every time we come together, you'll leave just a little more refreshed, encouraged, back on mission, back on track, whatever it is, strength for the day, whatever you're facing or walking through. Now, I want you to notice as well that it was Jesus who was there, just as a child. Let this sink in. He didn't do anything for them. They didn't meet Jesus the man, Jesus the teenager, and this was a little child, maybe still in diapers, walking around, couldn't do anything for them, couldn't do any miracles, couldn't multiply bread on the table to feed the caravan. There was absolutely nothing. It was just Jesus. They weren't looking for anything else. Matthew writes in verse 11, they bowed down and they worshiped him. And it wasn't just a polite bow from the waist. The word worship literally means forehead to the ground. Bang. When they saw Jesus and the Holy Spirit witness with their heart, this is who it is. It brought them to their knees. 
that revelation. And friends, that's how meeting Jesus should be for us. There ought to be that joy. There ought to be that sense of wonder. And even in those times that we come in weariness, or those times we open our Bible in our quiet time or devotions, or we come to church in the morning, the Lord understands our weariness. He knows we're frail. We're just flesh. But He also understands He has given us the Holy Spirit. And we can call on the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, regardless of how I feel, regardless of what I'm going through this morning, regardless of how tired I may be, I pray that You would quicken me by Your Spirit, by Your power. Reveal Jesus to me afresh today. Let the joy of that revelation fill my heart afresh. Let it fuel me again for whatever you have for me before me in this day. I want to worship the Lord because, friends, it's that joy, it's that reality of Jesus that has saved people, that has sustained believers down through the ages from generation to generation in times of hardship, in times of persecution, in times like today when they're facing things they don't understand and don't know how long it's going to last because they had a revelation of who it is that Jesus is. The Bible says they would always come together. And why would they come together? To have church? No. To meet Jesus, to seek Jesus. That doesn't mean that the hardships just go away, but there's a joy that begins to flow in the midst of God's people. And as the word promises, that joy becomes our strength. And finally, Matthew says in verse 11 they opened their gifts and they gave him treasures of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They were so ecstatic by this revelation of the child before whom they were bowed that they took the gifts, but then they realized, oh man, that's, we've got more back there. And they went into their own personal treasures, what they had brought for commerce, for, for taking care of themselves, whatever. They, they just left it all there. All the gifts, all the treasures, Matthew says. And these weren't just tiny presents wrapped with bows. They were treasure chests full of wealth and riches. We also see in a very practical way these were provisions by God because He knew in a short time they would have to leave everything and flee to Egypt for a period of time in order to save Jesus from Herod. And they'd have to find a, a place to live. And they got their travels and then coming back and moving and, and finding a new place in Israel. By the time they got there, real estate had gone up like it does here, Right? So they had to be able to buy that, but the Lord knew all that, and He gave them the wealth to take care of them. But why did they give the Lord so much? It's because they knew they were part of something in which God's plan was going to be revealed. God's power was going to be revealed. You see, my friends, if, if, if we're really just interested or content to believe in God, and the plan of salvation, and then kind of get on with our lives, then we don't need this, what I'm going to tell you about. But if our heart really is, God, I want to see your plan revealed around me. I want to see your power at work. I want to have conversations and ministry with people where there's actual life change. I want your presence to flow through me. I want you to touch people around me. If that's going to happen, then what do I have to do? I have to come before him and say, Lord, I just open my heart to you. I just give you all that I am. Lord, I just come to you afresh this morning. I just say, wash me, refresh me. Lord, I just want that heart that grows softer and softer and softer and more tender toward you. I want the Holy Spirit to soften my heart 
with a deeper appreciation of who Jesus is. And I want to invite you this morning before you leave this place, if you haven't done so already, to open your heart afresh to the Lord and say, Lord, I just confess this morning, I've kind of gotten a little stale. I confess to you that sense of expectation really isn't there anymore, that sense of journeying with you, that, that sense of anticipation of who you are and discovering in new ways. I just pray the Holy Spirit would help me afresh to have this new admiration for Jesus, this new sense of awe and wonder for who he really is. Lord, just a greater sense of submission to your lordship in my life. That's what I want today. That's what the Advent season really is meant to be all about. It's an invitation for you and me to say, Jesus, give me a softer heart than I've ever had before. Do you bow your head to me? Let's just bow before the Lord for a moment. There's a beautiful old hymn that we typically sing around Christmas time. It's called, Thou Just Leave Thy Throne. And the last two lines simply say, Oh, come to my heart, Lord Jesus. There is room in my heart for thee. I want to invite you this morning, before you leave this place, to allow yourself to be overwhelmed and overjoyed by Jesus. Not just the idea of Jesus, but Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning, your heart feels hard or heavy because there's been hurt, there's been brokenness. It could just be the weariness of the season we've been in. You just feel like it's been a warm wind blowing in my life. My heart just feels like it's dried up. But this morning, if you'll come to the Lord and say, Jesus, would you just apply the oil, that warm oil of the Holy Spirit, massage that into my heart? Would you just soften my heart afresh, Jesus? I don't even want to get caught up in the business of the season. I just want to move through this season, this next four weeks, saying, Lord, I open my heart to you and through your word and in worship and your presence, through listening to your spirit who says to come away and rest. I'm just praying for a tenderness of heart to be restored to me, a softness of heart. I open my heart to you, Lord. I want to be, I want to know the joy of the journey again. Lord, quicken my heart by your Holy Spirit. Help me get up from where I am and to begin to move toward you. Because, Lord, there's some things in my life that haven't changed for a long, long time. But I know that you love me. I just need, again, that childlike wonder and joy of who Jesus is. Of who Jesus is. Thank you for listening to the GT Moncton podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, contact info at gtmoncton.com. Follow us on social media at GT Moncton or check out our website, gtmoncton.com. Have a great week and God bless.